0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, so this morning we're continuing in our series called The Deceiver in Genesis chapter 27. I'm not sure my voice is going to make it through this, but we will see how we go. And if I could have someone get me a second glass of water because I'm low on this one, that would be amazing. Thank you, up the back, Isaac, you're amazing. So Genesis chapter 27, if you've got a Bible, keep it open there. But I, I wonder if you've ever experienced this sort of scenario in your life. You have received a set of instructions or some plans, and you choose to ignore them and do things your way. Perhaps you've been assembling IKEA furniture and you've chosen to ignore the instructions and tried to assemble the furniture your way and it doesn't quite work out. I did that. I was assembling a new bookshelf in our kids' room they had some drawers down the bottom. And I I did the first drawer and I thought, I got this, I don't need to read the instructions. And I did it, and it got to about 12:30, and I went to put the drawers in. I had them all wrong, and they wouldn't line up, and so I literally had to unscrew everything, reread the instructions and do it properly. And sometimes, you know we do that, and the consequences are quite minimal. I lost a bit of time, lost a bit of sleep. Probably not a problem. I would have just been watching TV or Instagram anyway. but sometimes thank you sometimes, um, the consequences are a bit more serious, aren't they? I was just talking to Jeff. Um, backstage, He's a structural engineer, and he was saying that as an engineer, they give instructions on how to build fairly significant things, like the roads you drive on and the bridges that you cross over. And when Jeff will go to inspect an instru- uh, a site that has been built to give it approval, to say, yes, this bridge is safe, you can drive your car over it and not die, he turns up and finds out that the builders have chosen not to obey his instructions and just gone ad and built stuff their way, and thankfully Jeff says, no, you can't do that. This is how you need to build a bridge, otherwise people will die, and that's not a good thing. And so sometimes the consequences of our choices are significant. Other times they're just trivial. This morning we're going to see the consequences of people's choices and decisions when it comes to God's plan and God's purpose and God's instructions. But before we get there, let's just rewind a little bit and go back to Genesis chapter 12. Last week, Mitch introduced us to this idea that God was going to bless the whole world through a family. And God's blessing was going to come through a guy called Abraham. He said to Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will bless all the people of the earth through you. And he promised Abraham that he would do that. And he promised Abraham children. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. It was a problem for them. And after years and years of waiting, Sarah decided to give her servant to Abraham so that he would sleep with her. They would have a child. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn. But God's promise was not that Ishmael would receive his blessing, but that a son born to Sarah would receive his blessing and fill the earth and bless the earth. And so... Isaac was born. Isaac was Abraham's second born son. And he's born the child of promise, the slave child Ishmael and Hagar. Isaac uh, Abraham the names are so confusing. Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, Esau, it's just like big muddle. So Abraham sends away Sarah and Ishmael and he blesses Isaac. Isaac receives the blessing. The blessing that God would bless the earth through His immediate family, and then we get to this introduction to Isaac and Rebecca, and same deal. Rebecca can't have children. Isaac uh, Isaac prays for her. She has twins, and in her womb, these twins are fighting and wrestling together. And the first comes out all hairy and red. We found out his name was Esau. The second one comes out clutching his heel. He is Jacob, the deceiver, because that that phrase, clutching at the heel, is a Hebrew idiom for deception. And the promise that God gives to Isaac and Rebekah is that his blessing will come through Jacob, the second born. Now, you would think that Isaac kind of got the deal here because that was him. That was his story. He was a secondborn that received the firstborn blessing. And here God is saying, I'm going to do it again. In your family, Jacob is going to receive the firstborn blessing. He is the one who I'm going to bless. He is the one who I'm going to achieve my purposes through. This is the plan. The plan is Jacob. The plan's really clear. God gave Isaac and Rebekah an oracle explaining the plan. But as we know, God's people don't always follow God's plan. And so this morning, what I want to do is examine each of the characters in this story and, and just have a look at how they trust God, how they obey God in the plan that he's given them. And honestly, as we, as we do this, I think what we'll see is we'll see parts of our own heart and parts of our own lives and parts of our own story in their mistakes. These verses act as a bit of a mirror to our own hearts. That we are sinful people and that we don't always follow God's plan. And so what I want to do is introduce you to three and maybe four characters this morning. The first is Sneaky Isaac. The second is Scheming Rebecca. And the third is Snatching Jacob. And maybe we'll get to Savage Esau at the end if we have time. But firstly, we have Sneaky Isaac. I don't know if you've seen the movie Mr. Deeds with uh, Adam Sandler. He's that like really filthy rich Child who inherits his father's company and a very large mansion with a butler. And the butler turns up in all of these places, really unexpected, just sidles in, and there he is. And he startles Adam Sandler. He says, How did you get there? He said, I'm very, very sneaky, Mr. Deeds. Sneaky, sneaky. And so Isaac is very, very sneaky with what he does here. He chooses to ignore God's plan. He says, God, I know the plan, I know who you've chosen. But I kind of prefer it my way. Kind of prefer my choice. Kind of prefer my firstborn. This is what happens in Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now, then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat it and my soul may bless you before I die. Now, normally, the blessing of the firstborn was kind of like a big family affair. It's not something done in the secrecy of a bedroom just between two people. When Abraham blessed Isaac, it was a big deal. It's kind of like the 21st in the family. You know, this is a really big deal for the firstborn. And here is Isaac trying to sneak in the blessing according to his plan on the deal. He's like, "Yo, yeah, yeah, Esau, come on in. I'm going to bless you. And I'm just hoping that God doesn't notice this. I'm just hoping it sort of flies under the radar and that no one else notice it. So you're going to get the blessing because this is my plan. And this is what I want to do. Now, we don 't really know why, I, uh, why Isaac preferred Esau, perhaps we can guess perhaps it 's that Esau fits isaac 's cultural picture of what a patriarch would look like he 's big he 's masculine he 's macho he fits the masculine the, the cultural stereotype of a macho hairy muscular masculine hunter gatherer kind of patriarchal leader right and and Jacob is the the smooth skinned mummy's boy who stays at home cooking in the tents. Isaac has his favorite. It's Esau. He says, God, I know who you've chosen, but I just happen to choose differently. Now, we would never do that, would we, with God? We would never hear from God's word or receive God's plan and think, I don't know what God says, but it's kind of prefer this option i know god tells me to do but i choose this we know that god says be filled with the spirit and instead we prefer to be filled with pinot noir and ipa and multiple other substances we know that god says to be generous and yet we prefer to spend our money on ourselves We know that God says to be truth speakers and yet we prefer the odd lie when it's kind of convenient just to... we We would never do that, would we? Well, the reality is actually we do. We're sneaky like Isaac. We think we can sin on the DL and God won't notice. We think we can do things and there are no consequences. And so that is... Sneaky Isaac, he is sneaky, sneaky, and Ruth, uh, sorry, Rebecca, Oh, how am I going with the names this morning? Rebecca is scheming, she is scheming, she says, God, I just don't feel like you're coming through, I know know you promised that, but it's not happening, so I think I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. Have a look at what Rebecca does in chapter 6, in verse 6, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So, Rebecca, right, she knows the plan as well. She's heard the plan. She knows that the plan is Jacob. And at least she's on the right side of God's choice, right? At least she favors the one that God has chosen. It's Jacob. That's not her problem. It's not that she completely outright disobeys God and chooses another. It's that she thinks that God's timing and execution are off. She fears that Isaac, with his favoritism and choosing Esau, She fears that Isaac's going to ruin God's plan. The plan was a good plan and here is Isaac and he's going to mess it up by choosing the one that God didn't choose. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She schemes a little plan. She decides to take advantage of Isaac's poor eyesight. He's old, he's blind, he can't see. And so she decides to trick him. She tells Jacob to go and get some young goats that she could cook. And while she cooks, he's got to go off and cover himself with goat's hair and put his brother's clothes on that he would take the food in, present it to his father and steal the blessing from his older brother. And she's got to do all of that. He's got to do all of that before his big brother Esau gets back. It's kind of like that moment in the movie where the suspense is building and you're kind of hoping that the main character gets out before they get caught. I kind of picture it happening like that. And there is, is Jacob in there deceiving his father. This is Rebecca's scheming plan. And surely, she says, surely the ends justify the means. Surely it's okay to ignore a bit of deception and a bit of a white lie as long as Isaac blesses the one that God has chosen. Surely the ends justify the means. Now, we would never do that, would we? We would never say to God, you know what, God, I feel like your timing, your execution is a bit off. I need to take this. I've got this. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. We know that God promises to provide for those who seek first his kingdom, but you're like, it's a bit slow, God. I'm going to deal with this one. We know that God calls us to marry a believer, and yet you're like, God, I've been waiting quite some time now. We know that God says that he promises to satisfy, and yet the things of this world are so tangible and real to me right now. reality is we do it all the time. And we can't actually give God deadlines. That's kind of the moral for Rebecca is you can't give God a deadline. His timing is his timing. It's perfect. He is all wise. He is all knowing. And so Rebecca, she schemes, she plans, and she executes. We see sneaky Isaac, who's very, very sneaky, We see scheming Rebecca, who's scheming and planning and strategizing. And then we see snatching Jacob. Jacob, who has always kind of known what he wants, he's very driven. He knows what he wants. He manipulates his older brother Esau out of his birthright by swapping it, exchanging it for a bowl of hot lentil stew. And now he's going to go after Esau's birthright because he wants it. Sorry, the blessing. Because he wants it. Jacob's motto is this. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that one? You won't hear it in the Bible because it's not a Bible verse, just so you know. It is like the anti-gospel. Because effectively, what it says is, I am the master of my own destiny and God is here to help me get there. It's It's not the message of Jesus. But that's Isaac's mentality. God will help those who help themselves. I want that. I will take it. Have a look at, before we get there, there's this little neat thing with, with Jacob, right? He, I'm still getting the names wrong, my goodness. Jacob, there is this neat thing with Jacob, right? He desires to be blessed. He longs to be blessed. He is the one who came out like five seconds after his big brother. And that five second delay in his arrival means that he misses out on all of the blessings of the firstborn. But he wants it. He desires it. And you get this little story a little bit later on of Jacob wrestling with God. And he's wrestling and he refuses to let God go. Why? Because he wants to be blessed. Deep down inside of Jacob is a yearning for the blessing and approval of a father that he doesn't get here. And so he will take it. And this is what he does in verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. And later he will come near and he will say, Kiss me, my son. And Jacob will kiss him. And Isaac will smell Esau on his clothes and bless Jacob. Now Jacob outright lies, does he not? He lies about his identity. I am Esau. He lies about God. He like tries to pull God in on the thing. You know, like, God blessed me, God's given me favor, that's why this has happened this way. He gladly enacts Rebecca's little scheme, little plan, and he walks in and he lies to his father. This is kind of like the the climax of the story of Jacob's deception. This is the moment where he lives up to his name, more than any other. His name, Jacob Jacob, which means deceiver. He embodies that name like no other in this moment as he swindles his brother out of the blessing. You know, in Australia, we would call that um, a dog act. That's what we would call it. That is a dog act. And it's kind of like the height of betrayal and treachery. It would be the equivalent of, uh, just put yourself in this situation if you can. It would be the equivalent of you trying to steal the inheritance from your siblings by going into the nursing home where your father lived and in his dementia, forging or getting him to forge his signature and signing your brothers and sisters out of the will and taking it all for yourself. It's a dog act. It's low. It's betrayal. It's treachery. But well, we would never do that, right? We would never look at a blessing that someone else has received and covet that blessing and desire that blessing and pursue that blessing. And if needs be, take that blessing to be our own. Can I be real with you guys for a sec? This is the, this is the bit that probably convicted me this week as I, as I thought about the things that I'm wrestling with in this season of life. The things that I'm wrestling with are um, we're losing lots of people at the end of this, this year from our church and I'm anxious about it. We're losing lots of leaders and I'm nervous about it because we just started a new service and lots of people are leaving. And then I look down the road and see a friend's church that's absolutely exploding. They've got volunteers, or at least it looks like, they've got volunteers coming out of the, the sides of the room. They're so full and I want that. And I think, what am I willing to do to get that? What compromises am I willing to make to take the blessing that I want from someone else? Yeah, we would never do that, right? But the reality is my heart wants to do that every day. My guess is you're the same. What about Esau? We've had sneaky Isaac and scheming Rebecca and snatching Jacob and we have savage Esau. Esau. Savage Esau, um, his response is, well, God, if I can't have it, then he can't either. So I'm going to murder my brother. That's his plan. Just take Jacob out, get rid of the problem, deal with it that way, murder his brother. And so he plans to kill Jacob. And again, Rebecca hears about the plan. She's very good at eavesdropping, Rebecca. She's She's very sneaky and scheming. And so she sends her favorite secondborn son, Jacob, to live with her brother Laban. She says, flee, run for your life. Your brother plans to kill you and he runs. Now, as we kind of get to the end of these four characters and how they've all played their part in trusting God's plan, and we pull back a bit, we might have this objection to this story because we know that God's plan was that Jacob would be blessed. And that's how it played out. And so we're like, hang on a sec. Did, Did God orchestrate this? Like, did he use... And plan and purpose this evil to achieve his purposes? And the reality is, as we read this text, we don't find a verse where God says, mm-mm, they shouldn't have done that. It's not that but equally, we don't find a verse that affirms it. But what we do have is the narrator of this story clearly demonstrating the mess and the consequences of their sin. That where there is secrecy and favoritism and lies and manipulation and stealing, it always leads to brokenness. And my guess is for some of you, your family experience, you know that. You know what that's like. Brokenness and manipulation and twisting. God does not commend the use of deception. God didn't need Rebecca to do what she did. He didn't need Isaac to do what he did. He does work despite people's sin. And brokenness and sin does not render God incapable of achieving his purposes. He would be constrained upon our obedience if he was. And he's not. But what we see here is every single person in this story loses, Isaac loses. He loses control of his family. He is the one through whom God said, I will bless the nations through your offspring. And he's lost control of his family. He's lost control of his sons. One son he's lost emotionally, Esau, who's furious at him. The other he has lost physically, Jacob flees. Rebecca too, she loses her son. She loses her favorite. And As far as we know, as Jacob flees to Laban and later returns, Rebecca never sees her favorite son again. Esau loses. He is festering in rage and bitterness and hatred towards his brother. He has got this funky relationship with his mom now. Like, could you imagine that? Living in a house where your mom's like totally deceived you and swindled you and tricked you. And, and Jacob, well, the one who wanted the blessing, he leaves the land, the promised land, with nothing but his cloak and his cane, fleeing for his life. Everyone loses here. One author I read this week said this as a moral for this story sin never pays even when it gives you what you want sin never pays even when it gives you what you want Have you experienced that? I know I have in my life. I remember one moment where I bought a car that I knew I shouldn't buy. I don't know if uh, this was anyone's world, but my brother and I used to ride to the newsagent on Thursday mornings and pick up the trading post every week. And we would look at the cars. We'd cut out the cars that we want. We'd stick them on bits of paper. And one day I'd been driving this little 1979 Corolla and it didn't have much power and it didn't have much cool and it didn't have much cred. And I wanted something that was going to be really cool and would make me feel awesome. And one day I came across this 1987 Ford Falcon XF. It was lowered, had a sports exhaust, half roll cage tackers on the front, sports steering wheel. It was manual tinted windows, hectic sound system. It was amazing. And when you turned it on in my my front yard, it made my parents' windows rumble. So I saw this car in the trading post and I desired it. I loved it. And so my brother and I went to check it out, and when we got there, we realized that there was a side of the car that the person hadn't taken a photo of, uh, because the whole rear quarter was smashed up. And to fix it probably was worth more than the value of the car, but I was hooked. I already loved the car. I had to have the car, and I didn't have the money to buy it. And so I went home and I saved, I started saving and I put my car up for sale. And I was hoping that I could sell my car and save enough money to get this car. And every week I'd go to the news agent, buy the trading post and it was still there. It was still there, I could still own it. And after a few weeks I sold my car and I went and I bought the Ford and on the drive home, I felt empty. I felt so empty because here was a thing that was an idol and to be honest, It wasn't a good financial decision, but I knew it wasn't a good spiritual decision at the same time. I knew that God didn't want me to buy that car. And when I got it, it left me so empty. I'll never forget that experience. Maybe you've had a similar experience, and chances are we probably all will have similar experiences like that again. Sin never pays, even when it gives you what you want. And yet despite sin and despite manipulation and lies of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau God's plan still unfolded. Jacob still received the blessing that that's what God said would happen and it happened. Our sin even when we experience it, experience the consequences of our brokenness and our lies does not erode God's plan. It doesn't erode God's promise. And the comfort that we find here in Genesis 27 that we find in the story of Jacob is that despite our sin and despite our failure to trust God and despite our manipulation and, and our timing and our agenda, God still works. The comfort is that we live in the firm grip of God's grace as his people. You know, Esau is... A picture of Israel here. Here's a picture of a child who had all of the rights, all of the privileges, and all of the promise. God called Israel his firstborn because he loved Israel. He wanted to bless Israel. And yet the story of Israel is that they rejected their privilege. They rejected the promise. They rejected God just like Esau. He is a picture of Israel who failed catastrophically and consistently failed. And the reality is like every other person of God, we do the same. We fail. And we need God's grace as much as anyone else in this story for our scheming and our sneakiness and our snatching. But the good news is that what Jacob and Esau wrestled over what Jacob lied and manipulated and snatched and what Esau later begged for. We didn't read that bit, but after Jacob steals his blessing, he goes in and he begs his father, bless me, me too, my father. Don't you have any blessing left? What Jacob and Esau wrestled over, Jesus had. The privileges of the firstborn. He is called the firstborn of all creation. Now don't believe the Jehovah's Witnesses who tell you that that means Jesus was born first, therefore he's a created being. That's not what it means. It's a title, not a birth order. And the title is heir. The sonship is his because he is God's first and only born son. All of the privileges of the universe, all of the privileges of heaven are his. And he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus gave away his status. He took on the curse of our sin upon himself. He dressed as one of us. And he did that. He he died on the cross and he did that in order to make us sons of God. Have a look at what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Literally, that reads that we might receive the sonship. Now, the scriptures don't use gender neutral language there because if it did, it would lose something important. What we receive in Christ is the firstborn blessing. That we would receive the sonship. That we would be welcomed by the father as if we were his one and only firstborn son. That we would receive the sonship. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father. So not only did we get privilege and status, but we get relationship. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, when God said to Jesus, my son, here is the plan. The plan is that you will become like them. You will be mocked. You'll be stripped naked. You'll be flogged, half dead. You'll be hung on a cross and you will die. And Jesus' response to God's plan was what? Yet not my will be done, but yours. He willingly, with great cost, Obeyed the Father's plan. Well, we can't do that. Jesus did it. He is the perfect, true Israelite, the person of God who walked in obedience to God's plans. And He secures our righteousness where we had failed. Jesus willingly gives His birthright up so that we could be called sons, that we would have the sonship. And that is something that you cannot scheme, you cannot steal, you cannot swindle, you cannot snatch and swipe. It is a gift of grace given to you to be received by faith in the finished work of Christ. God's plan is a good plan. The plan that started with Abraham in Genesis 12 was executed at the end of the gospels as Jesus died on the cross and then rose again to new life. It's a good plan. The story suggests to us that God's way is the best way, always. God's way is the best way when it's hard. God's way is the best way when we prefer other things. God's way is the best way when it appears that His timing is out. God's way is the best way. He has come good on the most significant promise in the history of the universe. And if God has come good on that promise, then I guarantee you he can come good on the promises that he has made in his word. Whatever circumstance you're facing at the moment, whatever trial you find yourself in, whatever moment you're wrestling to cling to God's promises, he's good. He will come through. God does not make a promise and then cross his fingers and hide it behind his back. He's faithful, he's trustworthy. And obedience and trust to God can only be done as we stand on the firm foundation of God's sovereign goodness. You see, in the end, our, our failure to obey and our lack of trust, they're just an, a failure to believe that God is good, that God is in control. That's where these characters messed up. They forgot the primary truths of God's sovereign goodness. The reality is God is good. He is good. We don't need to doubt his purposes. We don't need to doubt his plan. God is great. We don't need to take matters into our own hands and do things our way. God is gracious. We don't need to grasp for identity and blessing. If you have faith in Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ according to Ephesians 1. He's good. His plans are good. Actually, his plans are perfect. Our wrestle is how do we walk by the power of the Spirit, a life of trust and dependence. Thankfully, we have one to follow and we've received his righteousness. It's the Lord Jesus Christ.